0: Tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon.
1: It's almost (laughs) as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something.
0: Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically.
1: (laughs) I feel like I just want to be like quote-unquote enemies for every
0: time we bring up Baz. You want
1: to get sexy?
0: Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff.
1: Hello and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where we read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I still did it wrong. That's fine. It's fine for today. I am Mark Malachi Gray. It's <laughs> so
0: just uh, one of those days. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jesse Blount. Today we are talking about chapter 68 and chapter 69. Chapter 68, we get Agatha, who is driving Penny back from the grim pitch manor and agatha is tempted to tell the mage everything about this fucked up conspiracy she's been unwittingly dragged into but she remembers that the mage is a humongous douche canoe and she's like nah uh at home she's trying to get out of doing some intense christmas partying with her parents and we get key information about what the other folks know about dear tragic lucy's story and Agatha's growing fascination with her. Uh, Chapter 69, in what is literally the least sexiest chapter of this book, unfortunately. Quite so. (laughs) We are in Lucy's POV, and we get the real deal from her, um, hiding out with a fucking mage in his family cottage, because, understandably, her family hates him, and she's barely seeing anyone because he never wants to hang out with folks, slash is isolating her in... Textbook abuser behavior. Uh, The mage, as we know, is an inflexible Reddit bro, angry that no one will read any of his screeds, even the other other magical activists. He's obsessed with something called the greatest mage prophecy, stealing books from Watford and doing jack shit else. Like, oh, I don't know, buying food for him and Lucy. Lucy, still in love, but also in the mists of this seriously emotional abusive relationship, Blames herself for not for not leaving, for thinking that she could anchor him somehow to humanity. In the end, the fucking mage determines that he could bring forth the greatest mage via baby making, which is a thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Couple quick things before we get into this episode uh, one. Listeners, my neighbors are playing really loud music. If you can hear it, I apologize to last episode we more heartfeltedly asked folks to go leave us a review uh, than we typically do and you did so i just want to say thank you to confused oracle kate autumn and lyra for life for leaving us really lovely reviews they made me super happy and if i remember to send them to jesse they'll make her happy too (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, shout out to Lyra for Life. I hope that is a His Dark Materials reference, because if so, Sam. I'm sure it is. Yeah,
1: I would say <laughs> that's a great name. Um, I also want to let everyone know we have eight more episodes left of Carry On content. So if you haven't read Wayward Son and Any Way the Wind Blows yet, you should probably get on that. When we get to Wayward Son, we'll be spoiling the rest of the series. So you'll want to make sure you read both. Yeah, so that said, we are spoiling everything through the end of this book, but currently nothing from the sequels, and we are going to turn to
0: Easy come, easy go.
1: Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else i know i've probably
0: brought this up before and i'm sorry because it's been a very long year but just the mage's like peter pan with a sword look like out of all of the looks you could have picked you went for man child peter pan which i guess thematically makes sense because the mage is clearly just a terrible man child uh so i guess he's really hitting on the nose there yeah. but like
1: all right i don't know why this just occurred to me but i propose that the mage thinks that he's dressing like robin hood because he sees himself as literally being like robin hood
0: yeah no i think you're right because he would
1: (laughs) right he's like i'm stealing from the rich and giving to the needy i'm good guy which like isn't entirely false as we will talk about later on in this episode but oh yeah he's definitely not good enough to compare himself to historical dreamboat robin hood right um okay so i i mean i have a lot to say about agatha in later sections but like this she just starts really really strong this conversation between her and penny and i wanted to talk about it here because there's not a lot that goes here this episode (laughs) starting with penny saying i thought you wanted to be included and agatha just saying you didn't I'm like good <laughs> job Agatha like she didn't and also I don't know I think there's something like really really nice about like a two word rebuttal in an argument that you just like don't follow up on like I feel like it's a very boss move
0: uh yeah for sure yeah um Agatha's chapter is so good mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah I love Agatha but I think like I maybe like her the most that I've liked her this whole book in this chapter. Um, I really love what she says about her and Penny's role in Simon's life, where she says, we're witnesses and hostages and future collateral damage. If we were in a movie, one of us would have to die while Simon watched. I love that bit. Right?
0: And it's like... I think it's also before about how, like, Lucy, Death not Lucy, Jesus, uh, Agatha has, like, a little bit of, like, she's sort of aware, like, of the kind of story she's in. And it's kind of like, no, this fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just really appreciate her just being, like, genre savvy enough to be like, okay, I've literally seen this movie, like, 20 million times. Uh, I don't actually want it to be me. Yeah. <laughs> you guys. And, like, I mean, she's right. Like, Agatha is just trying to, like, live her, like, regular-ass life and not have to be sucked into all of this fantasy bullshit.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> but, like, not even, like, fantasy bullshit, but it's, like, Simon's in a, like, chosen one fantasy narrative. But they're also somehow now in a, like, Scooby-Doo murder mystery mm-hmm. trope also. Agatha doesn't want to deal with any of that she, she just, like, everyone is just taking this as a normal course of, like, what to do with their lives is, like, 17 year olds and she's like no
1: yeah exactly i just want to
0: eat snacks and like hang out <laughs> and
1: watch tv <laughs> just be kids yeah
0: yeah which i mean i feel like i'm gonna be honest you know it's sort of how i feel about you know when i watch doctor who and i'm like part of me is like wow it'd be so cool to have to be a companion for the doctor and the other part of me is like i'm at like asthmatic fat person I could not do the amount of running they do in that Mm -hmm. show can we just like hang out and like look at cool shit why do you gotta always be fucking running from shit
1: you gotta have that conversation with the TARDIS that's true um I would say no like that sounds like so stressful (laughs) I mean I'd be like yeah take me one place but then of course the one place there would be an emergency and I'd be like fuck this I'm out (laughs) like absolutely not uh
0: Right. If it's not like an Uber taking me to a better planet for me to live on, that's not this tra- this trash hole. Exactly. And then be like, OK, cool. Bye. Have fun.
1: Yeah. I'm like, take okay. me to space, Florida, and then take me home. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> nothing
0: else. Please leave me in space, Florida. OK, thanks.
1: Right. I'll
0: figure it out from there.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, And I just always feel like having this kind of character in a story is so nice and grounding. Just to be like... Someone to be like, okay, but DLC yourselves. <laughs> uh and out. It kind of reminds you a little bit of like Anya's place in like, the narrative, you know, of Buffy. Yeah. So, Or maybe a little bit more Cordelia since Anya actually was a demon and now isn't. But Cordelia is just regular ass person is like oh I guess. <laughs> I guess i'll do this stuff with y'all
1: yeah i was just thinking I can't, I can't remember what episode it's in where she's just made it through some big thing with the scoobies and she goes i just hate you guys so much <laughs> like, yeah i feel like agatha is there right now she's just like i just hate you <laughs>
0: I just wanted to go to Homecoming and now there are weird demons trying to murder me because I think I'm a slayer. Like, I just want to go to Homecoming and drink some shitty punch that someone has spiked and like dance around and then like go to the bowling alley afterwards.
1: Anyway, let's talk about this podcast.
0: <laughs> if you want to hear us talk about Buffy, you should join our Patreon. We should. We have
1: a whole podcast about it. <laughs>
0: And if you haven't watched Buffy, you totally should. Yeah. Anyway, um, I only have a few things in this section. But until reading this chapter, I had completely forgot that (sighs) Simon has a living grandmother. And it's like gutting to me. And she has like no idea that Simon exists. And it's just like just an entire just box of just never ending crying emojis. (laughs) I'm just like, oh no! Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Oh my god! It's yeah, and that she sounds so rad too is really rough. <laughs> I feel like that makes it I worse. I know
0: she sounds so cool. It's like this is the only other person <laughs> that is like seems worth hanging out with.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah. Oh god. Yes. We get a mention of a charity lawn bowling tournament for stutterers, which is really interesting.
0: I mean, in a world like that, that would be a very debilitating disability to have.
1: Yeah, it absolutely would. It just feels like such a nice piece of world building to like bring that up, you know?
0: Oh, you mean to like... Actually acknowledge that disabilities would exist in a magical world, unlike some certain scoundrels. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah,
1: like not just uh, muggle disabilities, which we see with Simon's dorm mate, but also like there are essentially magical disabilities. Like this is also a disability that affects normals, but like it's also a magic disability. I think it's really rad. So
0: yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there'd be rich people having like charity balls about it.
1: That's what rich people do, as my understanding.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it works in other countries, but it's a huge tax break here, which is why rich people love giving money to nonprofits and why they're also the worst. (laughs) I mean, the whole thing about rich people giving money for like nonprofits to do the work that Rich people then lobby the government to not do, so then people like me have to do it underpaid and stressed out. Is already its own can of rotting worms.
1: Yeah, totally. I see a little
0: silhouette
1: of a man. A- Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development.
0: All right, so... Does Agatha's mom have a name? I, like, didn't even... I actually don't know.
1: Mrs. Well, uh
0: Agatha's mom, as we get very explicitly, is a bigot in the same way that Baz is a bigot, in which there is a lot of obsession about blood and quote-unquote watered-down blood, which part of me is like... I know it's just fantasy bigotry it's not based in anything like concrete uh as agatha's dad mentions about having more kids somehow splitting the magic between them which seems like it would be a lie i'm like i don't like what yeah (laughs) and i mean i get it maybe no one quite knows how to call you know how there are kids who are more powerful than others like yeah okay like we don't know a lot of shit about bodies (laughs) like (laughs) but the whole like oh it comes down to blood and either concentrating it or watering it down it's like y'all this is fucked up
1: yeah i mean i feel like it's so obvious that it's genetics like and in the same way that i don't know like i have brown eyes and my brother has blue eyes like genetics works like it's a you know within a strict set of contributions, like it's sort of a free for all. It's just a game of chance. Like what, what happens. And so if you're have a magic gene, it can like be expressed more or less from child to child as, as is evidenced by the fact that she goes on this whole thing about, uh, the bunces, right. Penny's dad's family and how like, they're all low powered because there were so many of them. And it's like, yeah, he went on and had a bunch of kids with a really powerful magician and all of his children are super powerful, like their mom, because it's genetic and like, these kids got the, you know, strong magic gene in.
0: Right. And and I feel like you'd have to assume that it also is not just like, right, isn't just like probably one magic, like one strong mag- magic gene It's probably like you're rolling a cup full of dice and like sometimes you, kids are born and you get like eight, eight ones and you're like, you barely have magic. And some kids get all sixes and you're like fucking powerful. And a lot of people get probably somewhere in the middle. And it's just like, cause you know, the human genome is very, it's like super complex, you know? Right. So
1: Exactly. Just like, I mean, there are tons of genes that affect all sorts of things even just in terms of like phenotype right like what our hair is like what our eyes are like mm-hmm. i think a, a punnet square of how magic gets ex- gets expressed would be like many many rows it would not just be a like four four box Punnett right
0: square. yeah exactly
1: and then there's epigenetics too like how much is that switch turned on and like whatever anyway yes
0: yeah yeah, and so, right. But just like in our world, you get people who are like, oh, an old wife's tale is you don't, you don't have more than one kid or else none of your kids are going to be powerful, which is like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, what it sounds like to me is you're already lowering your already pretty stagnant gene pool, y'all. So uh, <laughs> tell me how that works out. Maybe people aren't magical because y'all are hella inbred. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Why do you think all those kings and queens had that, was it?
1: Hemophilia. So many of them
0: had like hemophilia, like genetically, it's just like bonesome normals. Like, I don't know what you guys want. (laughs) So yeah, I got this mom's a piece of work. And you're really just like, oh yeah, Agatha, I see why you want to just piece the fuck out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and which is like this is sort of jumping between Agatha and her mom, but, like, the the thing where her mom is, like... Or Agatha's, like, Lucy disappeared, and her mom says, worse, she ran away from magic. Can you imagine? And Agatha's, like, yes. I surely can imagine. That sounds great. And it's, like, yeah, yeah. with a mom like this, of course you feel that way.
0: Right, and it's, like... uh, I also wrote, uh, what in the wasp hell is this? Because a lot of the things out of Agatha's mom's mouth is like, what in the rich wasp bullshit? Oh, Agatha, I want you to marry someone more powerful than you to like continue our like family uprise trajectory, which is like, bitch, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, that's the only reason her mom was okay with her being with Simon, who's, like, an orphan and, you know, weird by all standards of this world. But he's fucking powerful.
0: And, like, constantly endangering Agatha's life. Right. She's, like, worth it. Just how about some kids. It'll be worth it. Or one kid, because she's probably a person who's just, like... Yeah. Don't have more than one kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess... And I think just part of it is that, like as much as I obviously deeply dislike Agatha's mom (laughs) and how much Agatha also, I think deeply dislikes her mom is it's good that we get this here, like from her just to show like sort of what a lot of the non weirdos, like, you know, the bunces feel about basically like magic and how it's supposed to be passed on, because this is the sort of system that is that Agatha is struggling against that in the next chapter is part of what ends up killing Lucy is sort of like the mage point like as a you know uncritically being like oh yeah well clearly all this blood magic shit is real so uh this is what we got to do and it's like uh actually if you were more if you were as radical as you think you were you'd be able to see that this like blood bigotry is a construct of some kind and not really totally based
1: in I don't I don't think that blood magic has anything to do do with the mage
0: well maybe not blood magic but kind of like the kind of uh the sort of sense of like diluting or concentrating your magic as sort of like colloquial being like you know is the is your blood watered down you know
1: yeah i'm sorry i think i'm maybe just not following like how that connects with what the mage is talking about
0: i mean i guess this is sort of like i feel like the mage's inevitable decision that he thinks that they can that him and lucy can bring the greatest mage by like concentrating their power via like having a child is deeply informed by what seems to be this Mm -hmm. kind of uh like magical uh what is a wider order words
1: i think i see what you're saying i don't get the impression that it actually has anything to do with like him and lucy specifically i think it's about the like aside from like they're gonna be the ones who do the ritual i think the ritual is what he like i think he could kidnap two other mages and make them have sex while he did the ritual and like still impregnate the person with the greatest mage
0: i guess i just wonder if That would be a conclusion he would have came to if this society wasn't so obsessed with consolidating your power via how many children you have and who you're having children with. And kind of like these sort of folklore and old wives tales about how you have powerful
1: children, I guess. If he would have come to the conclusion about making the greatest mage. Yeah. I think think so because i think that he was not expecting to come to that conclusion like he you know whatever was looking for ways to like recognize the greatest mage or whatever and then was like wait a second these are instructions they're not Mm -hmm. you know whatever and then was like well since i'm the one who is obsessed with the greatest mage obviously i'm gonna be the one that makes the greatest mage yeah I mean, I'm sure that the fact that Lucy is a very powerful witch has a lot to do with like him, yeah, w- being willing to spend time with her at all. But I don't. I guess I at least don't think that there's anything to suggest that he would think that just by like him and Lucy having a, a baby without doing all of this ritual that like it would be better or more powerful because of mm-hmm. their power or anything like that. And be, I mean, I guess like one of the things I really like about the mage is that he did away with the tests to get into Watford. He like was really adamant that like low powered magicians should get an education. So I, I just, I think that this isn't one of the bigotries that he actually subscribes to. Okay. Does that feel right to you? Yeah.
0: I, I guess I just wanted to kind of like talk through that as I was having that, <laughs> that thought.
1: Listeners, please write in to us about this. The mage is very complicated. Um, I wanna talk about the more like just basic parts of Agatha's mom's shittiness.
0: So many. There's so many things. I went for the heavier stuff, but yeah.
1: Um I mean it's sort of part of the same thing where she gets mad at Agatha for shoplifting without magic, which is so shitty. But then the fact that she goes Oh, Agatha, purple varnish? How common. Like, oh my god, you're the worst. You're such a bad mom. Like,
0: so, so concerned with status. Overly concerned with status. And just, like, such a fucked up thing to say to your child. Right?
1: Like, <laughs> it also just, I mean, in terms of, like life lessons being like I'm mad at you for like shoplifting the wrong thing in the wrong way and not for shoplifting it's like oh god no please yeah that's fucking
0: wild yeah it's just ugh. yeah and it's like it's no wonder that Agatha's like trying to figure out who she is when it's like her mom has like clearly all these expectations of her and how horrified she was if she found out Agatha had like a, you know, a normal boyfriend. Right. Which is, like, I'm oh, sorry, I'm making a, I'm making a gesture. But it's like, it may not be a big of a deal, but, you know, Agatha's mom is just like, no, you have to marry someone more powerful than you. Yeah. And it's just like, are any of Agatha's feelings being taken into consideration? Oh no, Hell nope. No. It's just how it's just like how Agatha's going to reflect on her mom, you know, and like their family. Even though I feel like. I don't really get the sense that her dad really cares.
1: No, which is so interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like theirs is like a, I don't know, marriage of like convenience or status or something. Because they really seem very poorly matched.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Agatha says that her mom isn't very powerful, so yeah, she probably found the like maybe most apathetic dude who was powerful, who was just like, yeah, okay, we can get married, whatever.
1: Maybe her dad's gay. Maybe her mom's a beard.
0: That could be true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, definitely, it's like the picture is one of those like rich people families where Agatha's had all of her like physical needs needs met, but like not enough of her emotional needs
1: met. Right. Do you have anything else about Agatha's mom specifically?
0: No, I actually
1: don't. All right, I have a couple more things about Agatha. Okay. I also really love her whole thing about she's like, Penny, if these are my only options, then no, I don't want to be friends with you guys. And I love the line, I want to be friends, not comrades in arms. Lovely. I just, I just really, I love that she says that she's not sorry for disinviting Simon to Christmas. She's just really like coming into herself, and we see that really. Focus where she is talking about Lucy and like this kinship that she clearly feels with her. And she's like, she was dating the most powerful living mage. She could have been the first lady of magic and she just walked away. And it's like, you can Mm -hmm. hear Agatha being like, and so can I.
0: Yeah. Where it's like, oh, like this could just be me. Yeah. You know? I mean, (laughs) part of me like kind of wants to compare it to like the first time closeted queer child sees like a gay person and you're like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> or you see someone who's like you know gender non-conforming or like maybe not performing gender in the way that you see as a and you're just like oh i know that was an option cool uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh this is the option you hate even better yeah so yeah
1: And then the only other thing that I had about her is that she says maybe Baz is their new third wheel, which means that she's been considering herself Simon and Penny's third wheel for all these years. Which is heavy.
0: Yeah. And it's like, I guess what I would say is, given again, how shitty Agatha's mom is, I would bet good money that Agatha went in to i don't i mean i don't I guess I don't know since we never get how Agatha and Simon's relationship started, but I can definitely see Agatha already sort of having in her mind like what the the role of like quote unquote the girlfriend is, and but all of a sudden it's like as opposed to you know being a boyfriend of the popular kid, it's like oh i'm actually in a I'm not in a teen movie i'm I'm in, like, an episode of Buffy where it's like, oh, we're actually going to be mortal danger constantly. <laughs> this is a much different girlfriend trope than I was preparing myself for. Yeah. And considering how gung-ho Penny and Simon are for doing the right thing, solving mysteries, oh, being kidnapped by whatever, it's like, I don't want to say, like, all in great fun, but they both just kind of, take that as a matter of course and are just like no this is this is where I want to be where maybe Agatha's like well I guess I'm also here <laughs> being kidnapped being in a well uh, I didn't really want to be in a well couldn't we have gone to a dance party went <laughs> to the door like yeah. some upperclassmen smuggled in some whiskey like I I'd rather be here than <laughs> fighting off you know dark creatures that are trying to eat us yeah
1: Hunting werewolves yeah. on Christmas Eve.
0: Hunting werewolves on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And then having to go back to get werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lucy wants to be in a not fucked up team. Agatha.
1: Movie.
0: Agatha. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I keep doing
1: this. I mean, I think Agatha is identifying with Lucy so strongly that it just like yeah. makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Agatha wants to be in like, I don't know, 10 Things I Hate About You or something like a cute Teen movie. Yeah, she definitely and not does. What she's in.
1: <laughs> she wants to go sailing with Cameron in some white jean shorts, and it's gonna be real great.
0: Hell yeah, she does.
1: Um, that's all I have about Agatha. Who shall we talk about?
0: Do you wanna talk about the Mage or do you want to talk about Lucy?
1: So I don't actually have anything about Lucy here, so let's talk about the mage.
0: I guess I just wanna start off with I feel like the mage is the kind of dude who scoffs any kind of, maybe not any kind, but most kinds of pleasure, physical and otherwise. I mean, Lucy, uh, Lucy, Agatha has a right to be like, why do you hate holidays? And it's like, not for the reason a lot of us hate holidays. It's just like
1: some pretentious bullshit reason. Yeah, he's too good to like holidays.
0: He's too good to, like, holidays. And I just imagine him as, like, the kind of bro who drinks soylent because it's efficient. And it's like, I don't care about eating right. or flavor. Right, and right, I'm like, that's, like, literally one of the best parts about being a human being. is like, the variety of cooking and food preparation that, like, humanity has, like, come up with. Yep. It's like, bro, what? And I just want everyone to know this is in, like, no way talking down on, you know, people who for various reasons like eating the same thing over and over again.
1: No, people who do that like the things that they eat. I think that that's it's, true. I, okay. I think it was very, it was very clear that you were like, okay. he does the thing because he, like, thinks that enjoying food is, like, for losers.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think for whatever reason, like, enjoying things is, like, he's, like, beyond that somehow. Right.
1: It's in the realm of the cerebral.
0: <laughs> like, I just... I can just imagine just what sort of pretentious douchebag this, like, the mage is. I mean, so many parties I've been to where it's like, oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> where, like, even of the kind of dude where you, like, go to an anarchist collection a, a, like, an anarchist collective and, like, maybe go to a meeting and even the other anarchists are like, oh, that guy. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so- yep. Um... The mage won't enjoy holidays. Did you finish your point? I feel like I sidetracked us from your point.
0: No, that was actually kind of just mainly my point is he's just the worst Mm -hmm. (laughs) in so many ways. And that was maybe the part outside of the giant red flags that I kind of was like, you just have no fun. You have no fun. Right. You are no fun. Yeah. There's just no, there's no reason for that. You're you're only like making your own life shittier.
1: I honestly think a lot of it comes from like self-consciousness and like mm. an idea that there's something vulnerable about being loose, about like
0: mm. having
1: fun, about being silly, and that people might judge you. Like it feels it feels very I mean the mage feels like a textbook psych 101 narcissist. Oh, yeah, for... Right. (laughs) Yes, yeah, he does. And, you know, the mage seems like he does a lot to make sure that no one can ever think poorly of him in a way that could, like, demean him. And I think that doing something like laughing or, I don't know, like, going on a water slide or something like that, it's, like, that's too vulnerable for him. He could never do something that kind of fun because it opens a door for a kind of judgement
0: no no that's that's such a good point yeah i refuse to feel bad up for him about that.
1: no i right it's it is really like sad though it's a sad way for someone to live their life i don't i can feel sad for him and also have like no sympathy for him
0: yeah 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 i mean you can see why lucy felt sorry for him yeah because I feel like when you're an empathetic person and you're like younger, like you're like a child, essentially, because this is when she meets the mages when they're both children, that it's easy to feel like, well, being excluded sucks. So like, I mean, no one else is listening to you, but like, well, you know, we can hang out, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll listen to your, your, your ranting and be a person because I know that it sucks to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is... I do feel more sympathy for, like, child Davy than I do the mage, mm-hmm. because, bro, you have all this power. You could have gone any avenues to have done the work you want to do to have improved your life, and you instead just went with your worst impulses. Right. Um.
1: Out a very, like, you know... Zoomed out note, I just really hate that he doesn't know Agatha's name. That is wild. (laughs) She's been his protege's girlfriend for like years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if they're, I mean, clearly he hates kids. So it makes sense to me that he knows probably virtually none of the kids on campus's name. But the fact that he doesn't know Agatha's name. Right. Because she's been dating Simon like the majority of the school year is bonkers uh and i think also lends cred. i mean there's a lot of things in these chapters that lend credence to the mage being also a misogynist dick but this
1: is but one example mm-hmm. um yeah what do you have other stuff about him here
0: most of my things about him are actually in face the truth
1: <laughs> yeah mine too i just have one question for you Yeah, yeah yeah so lucy says that she thinks that the mage is still more good than bad do you agree with her? No.
0: I mean, definitely not the adult mage that Simon and everyone else is dealing with, you know? I think that there is a there was probably a, a time frame, you know, when when the mage and Lucy were together before it got terribly went terribly, terribly wrong, where he could have made different choices and not been a abusive piece of garbage where you could say that you know since he had a lot of good ideas and wasn't actively causing harm that yeah more more good than bad, but he pretty rapidly crosses over into l o l no more bad than good, like more like you know a broken clock is right twice a day, but the rest of it is. Terrible burning garbage terribleness. <laughs> yeah. So, and a little bit of it is Lucy's own bias of s- still being like, I loved him dearly. And she loved someone who <sighs> I don't think particularly maybe loved her back. No. And in the end, did her deeply, deeply dirty. So, yeah. I mean, I. I'm I'm not sure if we can. Uh, I think Lucy's a bit of an unreliable narrator in that respect about the mage. That I'm like, mm, no girl, no.
1: Yeah, I felt I felt I felt the same way. All right. So speaking of Lucy, shall we talk about her?
0: Yes. Getting the details of Lucy's post-school life is so crushing. Yeah. And just, it's the whole thing is deeply tragic, but just, like, I almost, like, wish that she had ran away from magic and was, like, hanging out in California. Like, it's so much, it's such a brighter future, even though I think none of the magicians in this book would agree, than, like, what actually happens to her. And it's just, but it's also still sad that, like, her mom thinks that she just ran away and never contacted her again. Yeah. You know? It's just, it's just... It's just so sad. Like, everything about Lucy is, like, just so tragic.
1: Yeah, she is absolutely the most tragic character in this book full of tragic characters.
0: Oh, hell, hell yeah. And I don't know. Like, it just sort of reminds me of, like, when we get the information from Agatha's mom and then we quickly get Lucy's ghost telling us what really happens, it just, it sort of reminds me of when, like, when I consume true crime media and, like, the family is, like, You know, maybe they really did run away or maybe like they're off like having having a full life and just for whatever reason didn't contact me. And it's just like, I don't know if that's I like, I don't know where that fits on the scale of sadness, where if that did happen, that's still so sad or the sadness of I think you're a little bit in denial because unless you, you yourself was a terrible, abusive like family they they wouldn't do that and something terrible has probably happened to them mm-hmm. you know and that that's just i mean the like simon's grandma's response is just it's straight out of like some fucking unsolved like mystery share's like we just never heard from her again and i guess she just you know ran away and just didn't ever, it's like
1: yeah no no she did not yeah
0: so I guess it's a little bit less about Lucy, but kind of just the situation is just.
1: No, for sure. I actually just did. We get an answer to the question of like what made her mom think that she had gone to California. Did the mage uh, like send a letter or something? N-
0: no, we do get in Lucy's chapter that she would write letters to her mom, just full of lies, lies about what she was doing. Okay. That inevitably stopped when she was murdered. So
1: so you think the letters could have said things about like, we're thinking about going to California or whatever.
0: Right. Or it's like, the sun is great here or whatever. Right. Like, who knows what Lucy was putting in the letters to her mom. You know, I'm sure whatever the fantasy of what she hoped, the life that she hoped that she was living, as opposed to the terrible reality of it. Um, but I could definitely just imagine those letters just stopping. And of course, the mage is never going to be like, try to forge one to be like, Going to remote Alaska. What up? You can't contact me. Just, you know. Right. Just just being like, all right, well, whatever. If he even knew that that was happening, that she was even communicating with her mom. So.
1: Right.
0: I'm sure this is like, you get these weird letters that are like vague about where your daughter is and like what she's doing and who she's with and they just stop. Right. I think, and, and so I think that the conclusion that Simon's grandma comes to is probably a lot just based on whatever bullshit Lucy was writing to her
1: right like oh she always talks about like wanting to visit california maybe she like yeah welcome to face the truth where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up And just a heads up, we're about to get into a discussion about the mage's abuse of Lucy. This conversation is going to touch on the subject of suicide and also mass shooters. Also a heads up that in this conversation, Jesse and I ended up using the word narcissist in some weird amorphous combination of its colloquial and psychology roots without... Going into the fact that it is a real disorder and not to be made light of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not using narcissists as a shorthand for abusers. No,
1: definitely not. So, And also we're sorry because we should do better. Yeah. All right. Um Would you like to start?
0: Yeah. Uh, so
1: I did some research last night
0: about this because I think that sometimes there's not as much linguistical clarity about an unhealthy relationship versus an abusive relationship. And so thankfully, the Domestic Violence Hotline website has a lot of information that I was able to pull because I was like, textbook abuse. And then I'm like, okay, wait, I should actually do some research so I can be like, yeah. And I, I think i I think I still feel comfortable saying that this was still a abusive relationship. And so just, and so just to be on the same page. So uh, also from a domestic violence hotline is uh, defining domestic abuse as one partner maintaining power and control over the other partner, which is 110% what is happening here. So yeah, so like the serious isolation from her friends and family I mean, yeah, that's, like, one of the, like, big textbook things. Uh, I also want to throw in some financial abuse because why Why is she starving? Why, like, why, does she, why is she, like, there's no food. There's no money for food. Why? You're rich. I know that he's not rich, but what?
1: Right. And, like, why can't, why? I mean, the only reason for her not to have a job is if he's not letting her have a job, I think. Unless yeah. they're... Unless this cabin is, like, in some super remote part of Wales where there's just, like, not access to some kind of work, but...
0: Right. I mean, also, she is magic. She could... I mean, we don't get a sense that there's apparition in this world or something like it, but she could figure out how to commute from her remote cottage to a job so, they're, so she's not eating the chicken feed or nothing at all. Yeah. Because somehow there's no money for food yeah like yeah so yeah he's not letting her like get money for food uh, right or if or if they have money he's probably using it all for his bullshit right so on top of uh you know he's withholding like affection and emotional validation for her like she is like he went away for a while and that was pretty shitty and i was so happy when he came back and i'm like girl what
1: yeah no
0: <laughs> that is not this is not this is not a healthy relationship this is not how you treat people. No. I mean, period, this is not how you treat people your inner lati- relationship either. And like so much of the focus of both of both of their energies is like on his work and on his like needs and wants and not shit about any of her needs and wants, like fucking eating. Right. And he fucking kills her chickens.
1: I know. I don't know why that's like so crushing, but like obviously Rainbow Rowell knew that it was because she put it as a standalone sentence so that there's all this fucking space around it on the page (laughs) so that you just have to sit with the fact that he killed her chickens. I mean, I mean, he killed her pets. Like that is something
0: where and I mean, I've read a lot of advice columns. People are still kind of like, is this a red flag? And I'm like, yes, this is a red flag. This is a big red flag. If you go on vacation and you come back and your partner has given away your beloved pets, that's a red flag.
1: Yeah, so. you're right. I wasn't thinking about the chickens as pets, but you're correct. They were like her so. only source of interaction besides her yeah. like distant, shitty partner. So,
0: yeah. And like, was providing one of the few sources of food that she had. I didn't even, right. I mean, if it was like, hey, babe, I'm sorry, we gotta kill these chickens, so we can eat them. Like, that's shitty. But that was not, this was not a, like a a joint decision. He was just like, I need to kill these chickens. It's like, go out and buy some chickens, bro. What are you, you're magic. Call down some fucking pigeons or whatever the seagulls or whatever is common, a common bird in Wales. Are you shitting me? Yeah. So, and he just like treats her like a servant. Like she's making him food. Why are you making him food? He's also a powerful magician. Are you shitting me? Yep. If you want to eat oatmeal, plain ass oatmeal every day, you can make this shit yourself. So anyway, all these things, abuse. All all these things are abuse. Some of these things are unhealthy. But to the degree in which the mage is doing this to Lucy, this is a a domestic violence situation. And because of the fucking, fucking world we live in. I mean, he's not like yelling at her. So I think a lot of people are like. A lot of people think of these kinds of situations and they're just like, is it abuse? And it's like, no, this is subtle and, dare I say, insidious domestic violence.
1: Right, because I think the the thing, uh, a thing that's important to think about in this context is like, you could look at it and be like, well, he didn't hit her. And like, he wasn't yelling at her. And the question is like, what would have happened if she tried to leave? And what does she... Whether consciously or subconsciously understand about what would happen if she tried to leave. Because he doesn't actually have to do those things for her to know that he would do do those things if she tried to leave him. And, like, that is enough, you know?
0: Right. Or even if she didn't even try to, like, permanently call up Matali to be like, actually, he's a fucking jerk. Can you come pick me up on your broom? If she just, I'm sure she'd go to the store or try to get a job like something where she's not she's still living with him he he would have responded very terribly you know
1: yeah i mean if she'd been like hey i'm like going to london by myself to go hang out with my friends like there's a reason that she didn't do those things by herself yeah and the fact that she says like i want you to be mad at him whatever and then she's like but i never asked to leave i never asked him to let me go and it's, like...
0: The fact that you have to say, yeah, ask... Yeah,
1: stand on that word, asked and just, like, right wave the biggest fucking red flag in the entire world. Because, like, you don't you don't have to ask. Like, you don't ask your partner if you're, like, allowed to break up with them. You also don't ask your partner if you're, like, gonna go hang out with your friend. Unless the question is, like, did we have plans next Tuesday because I'm gonna go hang out with my friend. You know? That's... That's bad. It's real bad.
0: Yeah. And the writing of this chapter is so good because there's just so many little subtle bits. Like the part where Lucy is talking about after they left hanging out in London and the mage is drunk, but he still is like, oh, I'm driving. Mm -hmm. And she's like casting spells so they don't, I don't know, get into an accident and die. Mm -hmm. Is just like no no what yeah like oh so you always have to be in control you literally always have to be in control okay uh no no that's no
1: yeah it's real bad oh yeah the part where he is like excited about something and just comes and like puts his arm around her and like pulls her closer and she's like and i loved him then i was like just so happy to have his attention and it's just like these you know she's just like living for these tiny moments where she feels some sort of anything like validating her or like her reason to be there and it just is like oh so so rough
0: yeah it's just it's just it's so it's so painful to read Mm mm-hmm
1: that feeling of, like, I can't tell anyone the reality of the situation that I'm in because, like, I know how bad it is, and I know that they would make me leave, but, like, for whatever reason I can't convince myself that it's time to, like, let that happen.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I don't think we should discount the fact that she has, like, genuinely strong feelings for him. You know? Like, she still loves and cares for him that's hard to walk away from
1: i think it's hard in situations like that because the way that you feel about your partner is so can be like so controlled by your partner like when they have Mm -hmm. that much control over you Mm -hmm. i just think there's like a lot of types of manipulation like I don't know a relationship that I was in that reminds me way too much of this relationship my like even me being incredibly stubborn and like headstrong just ended up getting like essentially gaslit into being like no I'm like really in this relationship by my partner just telling me all the time that I was about to break up with him so that I like my stubbornness kicked in and was like I'm not about to break up with you and therefore like all of the terribleness of this relationship I will let slide so that I can convince you that I'm not about to break up with you like Mm -hmm. how much of those feelings belonged to me versus were like given to me by this person you know
0: yeah and it's just so shitty and manipulative to like hit your specific buttons like that right you
1: know (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like the mage, like, really, really knew how to do that with Lucy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that, I mean, not having been in romantic relationships with narcissists, but definitely somehow roped into two different narcissistic friendships that were unhealthy. It's just that, like, it kind of just takes being out of it to realize, like, how good narcissists are to, like, find the thing, like, your weak point. To be like if I can hit this button you'll just be like oh well yeah I mean I'm just I'm just gonna go along with this right you know? so and also having to learn that you can be vulnerable with people and they won't intentionally use that information against you to like manipulate you <laughs> somehow shocker
1: <laughs> yep. uh yeah I can really imagine because it seems like Lucy's buy-in to this relationship is like what you were saying earlier where she like feels pity for him in a lot of ways and i think she genuinely believes in the work that he's doing in a lot of ways and so i can really see the mage being like you know he's constantly like no one's reading my work like really just probably just like jerk off motion just like going on about how maligned he is but if she feels that like he's sort of like on an edge right like he's on like this cliff with the way that he feels about how people aren't taking him seriously and she's like well if I left I'm you know she calls herself his kite string so she's like I'm the one thing tethering him from just like going fully into this like pit of despair then that's a really intense feeling of power even amidst her powerlessness so like how much of this is love and how much of it is her feeling like responsible for his well-being which is a really easy thing to conflate you know
0: yeah you know i when you were talking i realized i had read this chapter and thinking and interpret and interpreting lucy's thing about him about her being his kite string as sort of her being his touchstone that like not all majors are terrible mm. you know But as you were speaking, I actually think that maybe part of it is that she, that maybe she thinks that she compares herself to his kite string. So he doesn't be like, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill myself, you know? And I think, and this is definitely a thing that is in the narcissist toolbox to manipulate people is like feeling like, oh, I have to like really be here for this person or else they're going to commit suicide. And this is not, this is something removed from people who are having mental health issues and actually considering suicide. This is narcissists manipulating people into, into continuing to be in a relationship with them. I guess I, I just don't want to make sure this is, I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm saying, like everyone who's supporting people who are feeling suicidal. It's like, I'm like, I just want to make sure that they're not coming across.
1: No, for sure. Although I do, I think it's also worth saying that, like, people can be genuinely suicidal and also be, like, emotionally abusive, and you don't actually have an obligation to stay with someone who's emotionally abusing you because you think that they might actually commit suicide. Like, yeah, that's not a thing either. I think it yeah. both, yes, like, he might, like, fear that he might commit suicide, but also, like, that he might go on, like, a murder spree. Because he does say to Mittali that... Like, he's going to bring about the revolution in blood, or whatever. Like, I think it really is, like, a tethering him from just, like, going off the deep end, whatever that means for, like, his particular person.
0: I think this is maybe what I was trying to get to earlier that I was having a hard time articulating, that a lot of the mage's vibes is very mass shooter who spends a lot of time online in the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And how a lot of that is informed by white supremacy and white mediocrity and everyone's always like i don't how do we stop mass shootings and school shootings and i'm like address white supremacy and so i'm just kind of like what is and i feel like the analogous white supremacy of the world of mages is essentially being a pure blood or being like a magical family who has consolidated their power through kind of the same way that harry potter does marriages and really controlling who is having kids with whom right kind of shit uh regardless of anyone's i don't know actual desires for partners and children i think right and i'm just kind of like yeah so like what is what is the like background shit that's informing the mage's mass shooter vibe
1: great question
0: and i guess i don't know i guess i just kind of feel like baz's and agatha's mom viewing people as having Thin watery blood is sore is sort of connected to the mage's radicalization. I don't know. It's like I, I'm still kind of I think I'm still trying to figure out what I'm trying to say.
1: But I mean, I think it's confusing because because the mage is such a complex character because yeah. he really did come into this for good reasons like he, it, he's this mad because he's the first person in his family who's been strong enough to go to Watford and he's correct that everyone else in his family should have been able to go to Watford to learn how to use their magic right so I think it again like moving way back in time to comparing him to like a weather underground dude like people can get to those states of like still still rooted in i think the same place on a foundational level but like those levels of of violence from good entry points like it can happen and i think that the mage came to this from a good place and just like enacted it in a not good way
0: that's true no no that makes that makes a lot of sense Yeah.
1: Because the revolution he's gonna bring in blood is not a revolution back to old established ways of being. He's not trying to bring back white supremacy, like he's trying to do away, like he's the opposite and yet still has mass shooter vibes. So Yeah.
0: No, you're right. Which is just is so frustrating because you're like, Yeah, if the mages aren't caring about other magical diseases that affect other magical people that's way fucked up
1: and not caring about the fact that there's like super high suicide rates among low-powered magicians like no you really need to care about that like that's really important yeah that scene with with him and uh mentally arguing is so complex because she's so wrong
0: yeah i mean Right. It's just kind of like, cool. Changes the system from within? It's not a stance that... I mean, definitely not in 2021. I'm like,
1: burn that shit to the ground. Let's <laughs> burn it all to the ground and start over, y'all. Uh, and it's... I mean, she says she wants to change it from within, but, like, she also says that they're protecting our power and argues yeah. that it wouldn't be good to throw out centuries of institutional tradition and knowledge... And I'm like, what? A, protecting protecting what power from whom? And B, I'm pretty sure it's usually a good idea to throw out century of institutional tradition.
0: Like, you it, should
1: definitely get rid of that.
0: Yeah, it's very, like, moderate Democrat vibes. Yeah. Which don't have any place in the world where people are dying. Right. Uh, like, as the mage brings up. Yeah, I just, it is really complex because the mage is right on so many points like that. And he's like, he's, he's right about so many points, but he misses the importance of uh, community building and coalition building and even just talking to other people, like like-minded people to be like, what can we do collectively And sometimes that does involve compromising, but there is so much strength in working with other people towards a shared radical goal, which I think is also why he has mass shooter vibes, because it doesn't feel like he can have a, even the smallest bit of compromising in order to work with other people. Or the sort of foresight that doing the work takes time. If, if you're working with other people, it's going to take time. And he's just like, I'm just going to do it myself. It's going to be right now. It's going to be immediate. And it's like, yeah, but at what cost?
1: Right. No, I think you. I think you nailed it. Because here's like, I feel like the question that we've been trying to find this whole podcast, which is like, has the mage consulted with low powered magicians about what they want and need
0: yeah and I don't know how much of my ranting about my job was actually going to make it into the final podcast but one of the good things that my job does is that if we're working in a neighborhood it's like okay well we have to let the people in the neighborhood lead the discussion about what they want to happen and how it's going to happen you know, because it's their neighborhood. They know the neighborhood best. They know their lives best. They are the experts on this. My job is really in a position just to sort of facilitate those goals happening. And a lot of nonprofits aren't like that because it's just like rich white people being like, I'm gonna go into this area and do this thing and it's gonna work. And it's like, have you actually talked to anyone to see if that is what people want or if they think that's gonna work? Because sometimes, when you're a middle-class white person, the solution you think is gonna reduce the amount of like stray dogs and cats in your area is not the same one that someone who lives in a disinvested area is gonna be like. Here's actually how you can reach out to people in order to have them spay any of their pets, right? You know, for example. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he- he- I feel like here's where I think that we're coming to and I want to make sure that this is right is basically like the mage is like a bad person who has really good goals and really good morals honestly who implements them in a bad way.
0: Yeah he has really terrible implementation.
1: I mean because he did it by just like seizing power and I think the thing about what you were saying about, like, community building and coming at things from, like, a more, you know, democratic, in terms of the real meaning of that word, like, position, is that there would be, uh, by necessity, like, the old money, old blood families would be having to sit with the realities of the people that the mage is trying to advocate for, whereas right now they're basically... The only people who are in these old families who are having to actually interface with the people who are benefiting from the mage's reforms are their children who are in school with them. And Mm -hmm. like kids are notoriously like not that great at convincing their parents of things. So even if these kids who have been indoctrinated to be like super hateful somehow make friends and like change their own minds they're not going to be able to like take that home and change their parents minds about like no your taxes are actually really good like they're just gonna have get and yelling fits over the dinner table you know
0: yeah and i think the mage could have been even more effective if he would have just worked with pixies and minotaurs and low-powered magicians to be like here's a list of what y'all need uh all you uh rich blood mages need to pony up and I'm super powerful. I mean, maybe not that. Maybe not like... If he's going to seize power, it could have been like, all right, well, we can have a, you know, we're going to have a meeting about how we're going to distribute all of these resources now. <laughs> um, But that's not part of his personality to have consulted with the people he is trying to help. Right. Which, I mean, then he really could have been the great reformer, you know? Yeah. Because then it's like, all right, well, none of you mages know that powerful old mages know that all of these low magic kids want trade school or whatever (laughs) so and not just like all of this magical theory and like you know practice that they really can't do and they really can't use so great
1: because maybe maybe those families would have been like actually what we want is for like our kids have access to summer programs where they can learn how to use their wands. But like, we want them to go to a school where they'll learn like, I don't know, math and (laughs) (laughs) history, like whatever, like things that will apply to them when they go out to like work in the normal world, because they're not going to be, I mean, everyone works in the normal world anyway, but you know, and then they could have taken that and been like, Hey, like we, you know, need taxes and just just making the the establishment i think come face to face with the people that they are disenfranchising so that they actually at least at the bare minimum have faces and like stories to associate where with where this tax money is going because right now all of these people think that it's just going to the mage and like everything, whatever he's doing with it, like they aren't seeing it. They just associate it with this one person. And so like, if he, for instance, dies at the end of the book, like what happens to all of his reforms? Because no one's really like associating those reforms with the communities that are benefiting from them.
0: Right. And there hasn't been any kind of meeting of the minds between pixies and minotaurs and low magical families with families like the well loves, right and so they're just like oh, fuck them you know yep yeah he could have brought on a really like really chill like socialist revolution of the world of mages <laughs> instead his ego got in the fucking way
1: and honestly if it was gonna be a bloody revolution it still needed to be a bloody revolution of more than just one dude like i don't want to i don't i mean. I think everyone knows that we're not, like, against revolution, like, as, like, an uprising act. It's not, like, it all just has to be talking. But, like, it has to be, like, a collective of people who have all agreed upon a shared goal and not just the fucking mage.
0: Yeah, direct action works best with more than one person. (laughs) Even just logistically, like one person throwing a Molotov cocktail at a cop is just you're just you're just a criminal but uh, 20,000 people will up against cops is you know and burn down police stations that's a, that's the revolution that's a movement right
1: well Alice's restaurant moment there um. <laughs> oh. wow I feel like when we really dig into the mage we have like the best conversations that we ever have on this podcast mm-hmm. Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we talk about ways that you can support this podcast. And I realized that I don't know if people who listen to this podcast but not the Gaily Prophet know that this is my whole job. And so I thought maybe I would just let people know that this is my full-time job. I do it five days a week, and it's my only source of income. And at the moment, we are too principled to seek out advertisers and um that means that all of our money comes from patreon and donations and merch sales and our sticker club so you know if you have the means you could support us in one of those ways and if you don't you can also support us by like telling your friends about our podcast and leaving us reviews and following us on social media and sharing our stuff there and also just by continuing to listen to us
0: yeah, this is why uh, there aren't ads before, after, the middle of this podcast. Um, not because we are somehow rich or independently wealthy, unfortunately. <laughs> but because, yeah, we're very principled and we are not part of a big podcasting network. Hashtag Ruthless is just Lark and I. <laughs> yep.
1: Just two people doing our very very best (laughs)
0: just two (laughs) mentally ill disabled people making several podcasts (laughs) yep (laughs) oh
1: (laughs) caught in a landslide Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. Uh, I only
0: have actually one thing. And I want to talk about Helen, the well-beloved magical housekeeper. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions. Okay. I And I think part of what brings up some questions for me about Helen is, you know, she has this moment with Agatha where she's like, Yeah, like, I'm Relucian school. A bunch of us were like, oh, that's so, like, awesome and romantic of her. And I'm just like, hmm, I wonder what about Helen is also interested in potentially getting away from the bullshit of Mm. the world of mages. And part of me is thinking that, I don't know, maybe Helen is also a low-powered mage, but unlike... Agatha's mom did not marry Rich so now she's working as a housekeeper because I guess probably for status reasons but also I mean Agatha's mom it seems like does not have enough power to magically clean the house and do cooking and probably would not want to do it the normal way it seems so uh she is Helen and um, and now and so what that also brings for me is kind of like all right so Right, so Helen went to school, so she uh, has enough power to have gone to school before the major reforms, mm-hmm. but potentially not enough power or family influence to have gotten maybe a better paying job. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this. Maybe she does make a lot of. Maybe she just make money with, you know, Agatha's family. But it's not like being a housekeeper has been a historically high paying job. And so I'm just like sort of very curious about what what this just kind of means for like the sort of greater world building and kind of just like, right, what, what do you do if you haven't married into money in the world of mages? <laughs> Is this just like part of your, one of your job opportunities? And I don't know. It's just, I just have a lot of questions, I guess.
1: I don't, I mean, I don't think that Agatha's mom has Helen because her mom doesn't have the magic to, like, take care of the house, but because she's... I think that they're at the level of wealth where her mom's full-time job is, like, organizing parties and, like, charity events and whatever, and even though that's, quote-unquote, unpaid, like, she's still, like, working a full day. Yeah. So, yeah, so status, basically. Partly status, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if Helen just doesn't come from money and her she wasn't like maybe she didn't want to go to college i i feel like if it was me and i'm like in this magical world and i'm like i'm going to do like i'm going to yeah clean houses or like do childcare or whatever i would definitely try to do that in a magic house where i could use my magic to do those things mm. as opposed to doing it in like a normal house
0: mm. which i guess makes it weird that The grim pitches have a normal housekeeper
1: i thought about this and then i was like they have so many secrets they need someone who's not in their social circle who can't snitch on them
0: of course you're right yep that nope that's totally true yeah it's like secrets and quasi to very little shit right (laughs) that they either do or own or whatever what have you yeah
1: yeah maybe she's just like whatever it's a fancy house to live in
0: Yeah. Agatha seems like a pretty cool kid to hang out with.
1: I like that that Helen likes Simon better, though. I think that's a really fun detail. I think that that detail and the fact that I think at some other point we hear from maybe Simon about him and Helen watching Doctor Who together, I get um, Chessie from the Parent Trap vibes (laughs) from Helen, which are good vibes to have.
0: Yeah. And like, yeah, and there's clearly maybe some part of Helen that's just kind of like... There's just so much drama and bullshit in the world of mages, right? I just want to hang out and eat snacks. Watch <laughs> Doctor Y'all can go on with your little power play bullshit.
1: I mean, most people work in the normal world, though. You know? Yeah. I mean, Penelope's parents are professors. But
0: and- also, like, of course Penelope's parents are professors.
1: True. True. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I wonder what other people do. Yeah. There aren't a lot of, like, magical jobs, though. I mean, her dad's the only magic doctor.
0: Right. Which, I mean, I know that they have a very small community, but that still seems... you So, like, wouldn't you still have at least two doctors? Like, who is training... Who trains the magical doctors? Like, I'm it just... It's a lot of... I mean, though, I guess some of them must overlap, since Agatha mentions having to sew on the mage's ear. <laughs> so, I guess there's a lot of overlap.
1: Yeah. Um, so I just want to talk about the end of Agatha's chapter, which is devastating. She says, was there a baby? Did she take the baby with her? Maybe she's raising him in the normal world. Maybe that's the gift Lucy Salisbury gave herself and her child. Not to have to grow up with all this shit. Not to have the mage as his dad and a world at war for its inheritance. That kid got off and Simon got stuck with it instead.
0: <laughs> it like gives me chills. I just had chills. <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh, oh.
1: Oh my God, it's so rough. It's
0: just, it's just this entire chapter and really everything about Lucy and Simon is just like a knife to the back. And then here is just the just the twisting like that knife is just twisted a full 180 degrees in your back and you're just like i didn't need this mm-hmm. i didn't need the extra twisting of the knife it's already there i'm already bleeding right <sighs> oh. <laughs> and then you're like oh god i just wish i wish that just like lucy and simon were just hanging out
1: in mm-hmm. the normal
0: world just being like yeah whatever fuck it
1: yep yeah <sighs> oh man yeah Cool. brutal so brutal <laughs> it's just so so rough shivers down my spine. welcome to send shivers down my spine where we talk about sexy stuff but there is no sexy stuff but there is a kiss kill improvise so that's good <laughs>
0: There sure is. Yeah, as I mentioned before,
1: chapter 69, the least sexiest chapter in this book. Oh, that's ironic. I didn't catch that that was funny before.
0: <laughs> it's, a- it's okay. It's all right. I just, I like looked at it and I'm like, ah, not nothing. Literally, no- like the opposite of sexy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, that is very funny. Yes.
0: Yeah, but I do have a kiss kill provides for you. Great. I'm ready. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Helen. Agatha's mom. Simon's grandma.
1: Cool. All right.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Killing
1: Agatha's mom. Starting Fair. with the kill this time. <laughs> Can't stand that lady. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kiss Helen. I think that sounds lovely. We can like watch Doctor Who together and then like make out on the couch in front of the fireplace. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely improvising with Lady Salisbury. She could teach me how to play bridge, maybe. Uh, She could feed me cake. You know, like, whatever. It could go wherever.
0: I feel like Lady Salisbury knows how to have a good time. Yeah. Like, she's the kind of person who like has a beautiful vintage purse and she pulls out a silver flask that's full of really expensive alcohol. She's Mm -hmm. like, just a little bit, a little bit in your lemonade. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. No worries. And you're just like, perfect. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: she like pays for everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was actually thinking about this before the episode about how you read improvise as like, who knows what we'll do, whereas I had been reading Improvise as, like, something between Kiss and Kill, so, mm. like, it has to, and I was like, I like Jessie's better, so I've decided to transition to your interpretation of Improvise, and it really opens up a whole new world, I think. I like it.
0: I'm glad, yeah.
1: Though I'm willing to have Lady Salisbury, like, step on me if she wants to, that's fine.
0: Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> and, like, super expensive shoes like more than i make in a year
1: but like straight from the runway so like haven't been tamed down for like normal person consumption yet and are still like absurd and everyone's like what the hell and she's like these were ten thousand dollars (laughs) yeah yeah
0: right yeah they're made out of like the leather of like baby italian fawns or something i don't know (laughs) What is, I'm like, what is the most ridiculous natural material I can think of? <laughs> and I know that baby fawns is obviously the same thing. I know.
1: But they're I, Italian fawns.
0: They're Italian fawns. <laughs> yes. Those fawns have been eating olives and drinking wine and, like, uh, are beautiful. They're the most beautiful fawns you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Ooh.
1: Good. Thank God for this segment.
0: I know. The only, I know it's the like only light part of
1: the episode. <laughs> it's okay. Fantasy is usually lighter. So let's. Is this
0: just fantasy?
1: welcome to is this just fantasy where we talk about magic and science and magical science so
0: you can't apparently magic an ear back on unless maybe it's a magical wound question mark i don't know or maybe it's just easier to stitch it back on i don't know i should have asked the call before i asked this question (laughs) (laughs) maybe glue it back on i don't know your ear is mostly cartilage and skin like maybe it's not hard to reattach i don't know
1: My entire, like, reference that my brain goes to for reattaching an ear is Firefly, which is also (laughs) not real, so.
0: Yeah, they just, like, laser suture it back on. Yeah. It's just interesting that, like, it wasn't, uh, I guess I don't know what kind of spell in this world would do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, why haven't we talked about, like, magic healing spells before i mean we have like the ones that they cast on baz but i guess things like get well soon wouldn't do something like reattach an ear that's not yeah
0: and despite sort of all of the shenanigans that simon and baz get into i think this is maybe the first time we get a reference of Someone is going to the doctor to have something medically done. Mm-hmm. And it seems... And, right, stitching it back on seems like a thing you could have gone to the ER for.
1: True. Not if you're carrying a sword. dressed like That's Peter Pan. true.
0: Right. Not if you look like you just left the Ren Faire. Uh-huh. <laughs> Though, I mean, if, it's a, if you're in a hospital in a big city like London, I'm sure they've seen, they've seen some weird-ass shit.
1: That's true, but they would have confiscated his sword.
0: That is... Probably true, yes. Yeah.
1: Um, Cool. I want to talk about Time Flies. Yes. Which only works if you're actually having fun, which is great. (laughs) Love that. (sighs) So good. But, like, what does it do? Does it bend space-time or does it warp your perception of time?
0: Interesting. I guess when I read it, I just assumed that it made the car go faster. (laughs) But that is a much better question.
1: That's the time that's flying, not the car.
0: That's true. I mean, if I had to guess some kind of magical bending of space time.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm trying to imagine. I feel like the only use I can think of at the moment is if you're like going on a road trip and you really want to get to the place you're going quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess is what they're trying to do but it's not working because they're not having a good time
1: right i think that would be a great spell to have
0: especially for someone like me who detests flying and only wants to drive places (laughs) i could be i could be places so quickly in a car because i'm like this is great looking at stuff i got some jams on the radio i'm going on vacation i'm going to a cool place where you can get there faster
1: (laughs) yeah or, I mean, even if you did have to fly, like if you're crossing the ocean or something, you could cast it so you weren't on the plane for as long.
0: That is true. Oh, that'd be awesome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did we not talk about the casual mention of Mittylee hopping on a broom
1: as Oh, I know. I mean, I think it was a joke. I, there aren't flying brooms in this world, are there? Mm-
0: Maybe it's a joke because Mitchely would spell the broom specifically to like fly to for else. drama purposes. For drama yes, purposes. She <laughs> yes, she would. Yes, <laughs> she would. Because then you already have the broom in which to smack the mage with.
1: That's true. So yep, <laughs> that's great. <sighs>
0: Uh, Okay, so I just have a couple of thoughts about the (laughs) premenstrual wolf fur talisman. Yes, which, since Agatha describes giving it to her cat, must I am I think that it must have been either felted or woven (laughs) of some kind, as opposed to just a clump of fur tied together with some stuff, because either a felted or woven thing would be an excellent cat toy, and seems a little bit more durable than putting werewolf fur into a thing, mm-hmm. I guess. So, um, also, I don't know what this talisman does, but I want one.
1: <laughs> I think that, I mean, I think that it, anything having to do with a werewolf as a premenstrual talisman would be very effective. Um, probably is just good for, like, you know, general symptoms, right?
0: Yeah. I would hope so. I honestly almost don't even care what it does, because A, werewolf fur thing, that's cool. (laughs) That's... (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I don't know. Anything to make having a ridiculous, useless uterus easier, (laughs) I'm here for.
1: Or maybe, because I feel like talismans ward things off, maybe it stops people from bothering you while you're (laughs) in a bad fucking mood and in as much pain apparently as a heart attack so you know if someone's like no you have to go to class today they like just suddenly find themselves thrown down the stairs instead of being able to talk to you
0: (laughs) it's like their eyes just slide over you like you're not there (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah but I could see why Agatha would be so pissed about doing that on Christmas.
1: Oh my god, yes.
0: I mean I'd be into it because I don't like Christmas and I'm like, cool outside with my friends, we're just gathering her. This is great.
1: Though no, her Christmas sounds very chill. Like yeah. put up with drunk grown ups for like fifteen minutes, probably more like an hour, but whatever, and then just like eat leftover delicious catered food and watch Doctor Who in front of a fire
0: right like probably the fanciest catered hors d'oeuvres so which i mean are incredible so yeah
1: yeah aside from the catering that is actually how i spend my christmas eve now is eating delicious food and watching doctor who but i don't have a fireplace but evan and i just watch all the doctor who christmas specials every christmas eve and it's great
0: which is that sounds excellent it's really good Maybe you should incorporate some more derfs.
1: <laughs> uh, like from so- that someone else makes. There are derfs that I make. That's true.
0: Yeah, I also also make fancy food for myself. For what is about to be my now annual not going to anyone any family Christmas anyone's family
1: Christmas. So excited for you! Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty excited, but I have a, I have a whole. A whole like vintage Martha Stewart cookbook that's just fancy hors d'oeuvres, and I'm like, I wanna make so many of these just to eat <laughs> while I watch something ridiculous.
1: Nice. So very exciting. Anyway. Yes. Um, cool. So Agatha's parents and friends have to spell the cars to drive them home after they get super drunk. And we see Lucy using stay the course, but I'm pretty sure that drive safe is a spell.
0: Yeah. I know. I'm trying to think. And this is also where I feel like there are so many song lyrics about cars that there's got to be one where it's it's just it's just driving itself.
1: <laughs> oh, where it's driving itself? Hmm.
0: I guess that's kind of why I imagine if everyone's like drunk, you're just like whatever like better magical
1: cruise control.
0: <laughs> or I guess something about like going home or there's no place like home or some shit. I don't know. Hmm
1: yeah yeah into it i would cast the drive safe spell on my car every time i got in my car <laughs> if i had that spell hell yeah It'd be so nice
0: especially now that everyone seems to have collectively forgot how traffic laws work now that <laughs> ap- mid pandemic mm-hmm. and i'm like cool could we hospital is no place you want to be at can everyone just not run a bunch of red lights please
1: yeah All right, I have a series of thoughts on what spells one would use to make food from pillows and candles. All right. I did way too much research on this. It was not as productive as I wanted it to be, because mostly the internet was like, why are you trying to eat candles? That's not food. And I was like, (laughs) calm down, internet. (laughs) But, um, okay, so I found... I just found nursery rhymes. That was, like, the one thing I could find to actually, like, do research into. Um, So we have three ones that I think might work for pillows. One is with apples by the fire and nuts for us to crack beside a little feather bed to rest my little back. Okay. I'm not sure what part of that would be the spell, but it seems like it could summon apples and nuts. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Really going with the whole pillows are stuffed with feathers part (laughs) of this here. Um, And then there's another old nursery rhyme that goes, thou shall sit on a cushion and sew up the seam and feast upon strawberries, sugar, and cream. So maybe that. And then the only thing I could find candle-wise, is just the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. The first two of those are food creators, so I'm like, maybe, maybe.
0: I mean, I don't know. I feel that makes sense to me that you could be like, right, you could use like the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker for that.
1: I trust Rainbow Rowell enough to believe that she had specific things in mind when she said pillows and candles, And that it Mm. wasn't just random. Yeah. If anybody has some suggestions of things, please write in because this is my favorite part of the podcast, maybe, besides the sexy stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we will be reading chapters 70 and 71. Escape from Reality is a creation of hashtag Ruthless Productions and is produced, mixed, and edited by me. If you haven't checked out The Gaily Prophet yet, you should. It's our podcast about Harry Potter. And we also have a Patreon only podcast about Buffy called We Are the Gayers. So lots to choose from from us.
0: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Gaily um, You can also check us out on our website. Hashtag Ruthless, where you can go to our merch shop, where we have some very cool carry-on exclusive merch. And if you want to support us financially, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash You
1: can find me on the internet, on Instagram at larkmalachi, or on my website, which is larkmalachi.com, which is where you can get a tarot reading from me.
0: And you can find me on Instagram at live from detroit or on twitter at jesse underscore detroit
1: music and our theme song is by kevin mcleod the rest of the music is bohemian rhapsody by queen our show art is by me and theo julian forrester together unstoppable team and Woo-hoo. until next time scatamooch